This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Before we dive into this week's interview with the extraordinary Yari Bangura, we need to warn that the content of this podcast may be emotionally challenging for some listeners. In this frank discussion, Yari speaks about her experience of multiple acts of trauma. It's a challenging conversation and may be triggering. Hello and welcome back to First Act, a podcast from Koshi's Business Builders. I'm Seth Busby. And I'm Adam Bob. Thanks for joining us as we unpack the fascinating stories of Australia's most interesting entrepreneurs, innovators and business owners. Oh, hey, you. Yes, you. Lend us your ears for the next 30 to 40 minutes. We'll give a candid conversation that will open your mind and hopefully inspire you just a smidge. If you like what you hear, pop a five-star review for First Act wherever you're listening to the podcast. Now, Sess, tell me about today's guest. Today's guest is Yari Bangura. Yari was born in Sierra Leone, but fled her country to move to Australia with her family at the age of eight. Now, while her homeland is known for its majestic mountains, fabulous landscapes, it's also infamous for its blood diamond trade. But what Yari best remembers from her West African village is the community and the spirit of her people. Afternoons spent with her aunties, songs sung and drinks brewed. In fact, those days were the genesis of her business, Auntie's Ginger Tonic. It's a refreshing ginger drink that brings back memories of her culture. Yari, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's so great to have you on First Act. Thanks for joining us. Now, we always start with our First Act icebreaker. It's an icebreaker question just to just to get the the, the ginger tonic flowing. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, your icebreaker, icebreaker question for today is, what is the best meal you've ever eaten in your life? And can you tell us why? Yes. So I think for me, that takes me back from to my homeland when I was coming to Australia because our main food is rice. We eat a lot of rice and stew. And so I kept hearing people kept telling me that there won't be no rice here in Australia. So I used to watch like, because I used to live in Guinea and it's a French colonial country. And so it was, I used to see all these television shows eating spaghetti <laughs> and so I was thinking, oh, that's what I'm going to be eating with salad. There's no more rice here in Australia. So I guess coming to Australia and then finding that this different cuisine that is made out of rice, that was like for me the first thing <laughs> ever. Because actually, the night before I was supposed to come to Australia, the night before, I ate so much that even my belly becomes so big. And I just was so sick the day of when we were going, when we were coming here. I just felt so sick because. In my mind, I was thinking I will eat all the rice that I need to eat now for the <laughs> next couple of years. <laughs> I can't say I've heard that before. Stock up on your rice before you get to Australia. <laughs> it's funny the things that you think when you're when you're a kid. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so can you tell us a bit more about what you remember about your life back in, in that village in Sierra Leone? Yeah, so my life I, before the war was it was very colourful. I I was born and brought up in the city, so but I love the village because that's when uh, I meet with my grandmothers and my extended family members, and it's just it's it's so green and so fresh. Everything like the farm and my grandmother growing like different uh, vegetables as well, kids running under the rain, playing all the time, not worrying about safety. So it's, it's that memory is always stuck in me. Like I could even sometimes smell it of the freshness of the, like the village. And yeah, and I had beautiful, happy family and everybody was my auntie, everybody was my uncle, everyone was my grandmother. So at times you don't actually know who is actually your biological family member yeah. because we all get so connected in and in a big ceremony like that, it can go for days. And so I, those are like my fun memories mm. of my home. Yeah, it's that whole the village raises the child kind of thing, isn't it? Now your family fled to Australia when you were a child. What was the moment that they sort of, that your family knew that it had to had to leave Sierra Leone, and and what do you remember of that journey? I think it was a very tough uh, decision because uh, it wasn't the first conflict Sierra Leone had had, but uh, I think it was the first to come into Freetown, and so like people had their concern. Maybe it was a way of like scaring them because the rebels kept saying that they will come and burn down the whole country and and kill everyone. So a lot of people thought maybe it was just a mere threat. So some people don't take it really serious. I think my father at first didn't believe in it. So, But obviously my parents, um, they were concerned about our safety and they wanted to get at us out of the country. And that time it was very difficult to get out of the country because it was a well-planned war because they have like attack everywhere that we could think about escaping. That's like the main roads as well. And so the only options for people to escape the freight town was through going through the boat. And so I remember that day when we were, we were my family finally got in and we were lining up at the ferry junction to get out of the country where so many things were happening. People were losing their homes. People were burned inside their houses and people's body parts were being uh, uh, like cut. And so it was, and they were taking young girls and young boys that time as well. So the country was in chaos. And so we we managed to go into the ferry junction. It was it felt to me that the whole freight town was there because the, the queue was so long and and people were just trying. And it was not the happy faces that I used to see, the big smile. It was all oh, people were so terrified, not like worried that the rebels would just come there and you know, so we managed to get bought the boat and we went across the other side of Freetown. 
And from there, it was just like going through the bushes, traveling through the bushes to we finally get into the village, my grandparents' village. And yeah, and it was just a few days later, the rebels attacked there as well until we finally find ourselves in the border of Guinea. And that's when I also lived in a refugee camp as well. God, it just sounds so harrowing. I just can't imagine going through that. Yeah, it was a terrible war and I don't wish it on anyone. And But I am glad I'm in a good place now. So you made it um, across the border into a refugee camp. That when, yes. when did your family decide that um, Australia was the place that they wanted to go to? So at that time, um, people could apply for different countries. So uh, we've already had uh, opportunities, like someone who was going to like sponsor us and to come here and my family member. And then my uncle first came here. And after my uncle came here and he kind of helped us to put in the application and we went through the process. We went through interviews and, and like medical check and orientation. So it's step by step and those process takes long. Mm. So yeah. And until finally on in 2004, November, we were given the final date to come here, but it wasn't like they planned to come. I think it was just like we need to get out of here. Yeah, yeah. And so Australia was the available countries that we could come to. Yeah. So it became your homeland, sort of by circumstance rather than than choice. But so, yeah. can I ask, as someone who is a refugee, what kind of challenges do you remember from those early days um, arriving in Australia? In, in Australia, yeah, I think um, we get so excited because for me, I was so excited that I'm I like I just want to get out of my country because I don't think any child deserves to see horror, mm-hmm. and and so I was excited to see what Australia will bring to me, and and just I love my home, but I didn't love that side of things that had happened to me, and so. I kept dreaming about education because while I was at school, my parents put us like in private school, but I never used to like school. And I think my teacher always like used to tell me, um, before I finish writing, she already finished writing. And how does she know what is in my head? <laughs> so yeah, so I never used to like school. So but after the war, the only way I could understand what has happened, I was told it was through education. I loved education then and I thought maybe coming to Australia I can gain that and so and to understand what has happened to my life yeah and so coming here I had big dreams a big dreams and I was saying to myself if I come to Australia I would do everything to give back to the country because for me it was a second chance it's a big opportunity for me to be alive and it's a second chance to come to Australia to, you know, to live my life. And so all of these things I had in me as a child. And so coming here, it's, I think for the past two, three years, I felt like I was on top of the world. 
And just knowing that, oh, I have roof again over my head. I'm not worried about uh, a bullet. I'm not, I'm not worried about the environment because in the refugee camp, it was a bushland that they converted to a refugee camp. And so I'm not worried about animals, wild animals, or like, I'm not worried about anything. But after three years later, I started, I started having flashbacks. Like, I think the freedom of being in a safe country that, you know, when you're not worrying about so much, so many things that like started really playing up in my head. And I, at night I couldn't sleep. And at daytime, I can't stay alone by myself. I would shake a lot. Yeah. And so it was really hard because I didn't know how to talk about this. And most of the time I was at school. And so it was very, very hard for me. Because sometimes I would go out of the classroom and my teacher wouldn't understand why. And so I would stay there until I felt like my shakiness has come. I've calmed myself down to an instant that I, I felt like I can go into the classroom. And it was not easy as well because during the war, I lost so much of my education. So I came here as a teenager. So I was already ready for high school. I had no education then because everything that I was taught, I had forgotten it. And so I focused so much on my studies. And so it was there was no time to actually sit and reflect or like maybe better things that maybe I could have been doing. But it was almost like catching up and then also dealing with these flashbacks that was really disturbing my life as well. Mm. Yeah, right. Firstly, I I want to say thank you for being so articulate about your experience. I think anyone listening is probably as moved as I definitely am hearing your story and and how you've sort of been able to kind of like go through something so traumatic and then come to Australia and see the opportunity and have that gratitude of for those those things that a lot of people take for granted. Um, you know, having a roof over your head. Uh, the ability to be able to, you know, have an education, um, all of those things that are things that we can have here in Australia. So I, I think, you know, really, I, I want to thank you, even though we're only at this point in the interview, for kind of shedding that light and, and hopefully opening a few people's eyes and, and minds um, already. I might move on to, I guess, without going too much into that, those sort of difficulties of... Um, sort of adapting to, you know, different kind of life here. Did you face much discrimination from people? Was it was the transition into sort of Australian society, well, how, how hard was that for you? Um, that was not so much a problem to me, like discrimination-wise, because I think I was naive and I was more excited about my new life. And then also, like... Everybody that knows me while I was young, I was so friendly to everyone. And I would go and check on everybody in my neighborhood, like say hello to everyone. So I think that actually helped me in learning my English language because I used to catch the train and I used to go as far as uh, uh, Central Coast. And I would sit next to someone, smile. If they smile back, I would sit there and then I would start talking to them. And that's how I learned English. <laughs> and so it, it, I don't know, like it was actually <laughs> because now thinking about it and then the discrimination, no, I think I started 
thinking about it when I started my business. That's when I was like, oh, because I was told that there's no one in my skin color that is doing what I want to do, like do a commercial business. And so that's when I, I sort of paused and I started thinking like, okay, but I've never for once had any feelings about people judging me because maybe I'm blind to it and I'm glad I was because it really allowed me to get out of my comfort zone and engage with other people. <laughs> I can't believe you would go on the train and just start a conversation with a random stranger. That's very brave. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask, since you um, started to touch on your business journey, was mm-hmm. entrepreneurship, did that play any part in your life growing up? Did um, Back when you were a child, before all of the, the terrible chaos and catastrophe that happened, what, were your families any kind of, were they business people? What kind of? role did kind of entrepreneurship play in your life? I think from my history of back to where, even before I was born, before my parents, my grandparents, my grand, uh, they've always done business and come down to my family. And that's how we survive back home. And uh, my mother was a big aspiration to me because she was a businesswoman. And, and even when we came from the refugee camp because we, at some point we had to leave the refugee camp to go into the city, Conakry. That's where all the processing was taking place and to come to Australia. So my mom would go to the market because we had no money there. In the refugee camp, we get like supplies and then and the basic food stuff, you know. But in the city, we don't get that. So we have to like survive. So my mom would wear her one clothes because during the war you don't you lost everything you don't have nothing and so she will have one dress that she kept and she would look good and then she would go to the market and talk to strangers and say if you give me one bag of rice i will make more money for you and i will you know make profit and because she looks trustworthy they will give her and she will sell that one bag of rice by kilo and she will make some profit and give the person back the money and buy little things that she can sell and make money. So I saw that hustling thing in her as well, even in a, in a situation where she had nothing. And so that always was, I was inspired by that. And then I was like, you know, I want to be a businesswoman. I think growing up, because back home, you don't need a lot of qualification to be to start a business. I, in my child because I didn't like schooling and so my parents were like well she she would take over the business you know she would be the business woman <laughs> and, so, and I hated that because but after seeing what my mom did in Konakre I felt like you know I was really inspired and I was because it was courageous of her and so that's when I said to myself I want to start some something, a business, but I didn't know this before I came to Australia. It was later on during my journey, I started exploring the business ideas. So Auntie's Ginger Tonic is your business. Uh, yes. Why did you uh, decide to go down that route with your business? I think like during though I had a lot of bad memories and I didn't want to associate myself with my country. And, but after some time when I started receiving healing, 
I and I could talk about things that have happened, I started really trying to like think about the good time. And that time I started thinking about business as well. And it was that time I started seeing my aunties like sitting around with their colorful attire. And then they will be make, cooking, making this be- ginger ginger beverage. And it was such a beautiful, beautiful memories to revisit. Like, you know, and I just kept going there and smiling, smiling to myself in the process. Then I was like, you know what? I want to make something for my grandmother's backyard because I love the village. I love the lifestyle and I love the the setting of women sitting together to make this beverage. And that's how anti-ginger tonic was created. Ah, fantastic. We'll be back with more from Auntie's Ginger Tonic founder, Yari Bangura, in just a minute. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, Yari. Now, before the break, we were talking about why you wanted to go into business for yourself. Uh, so, so what expectations did you have around running a business? Were there, and did anything shock or surprise you? Any of those uh, realities that that come around? Yeah. So, I think here the business is like a process here, <laughs> whereby if I want to start a business home and I have the capital, I can start straight away. So that was a little bit shocking because I was like, oh, I, there's a lot of protocols I have to follow and it was so it was a nightmare in the beginning but thankfully like I joined different organization like the Ignite SSI program that really like they showed me the way as well so I was I was guided by them. Yeah it's always great to have some outside advice when you're in that beginning process of a business. Yeah. On your website, there's this great story about you um, sitting by your grandmother's side. She'd peel the ginger roots and she'd sing, um, not because she was just wanting to sing a song, but because she thought that it also imbued the the ginger root with magic. So was that kind of magical thinking inherent in your culture? And is that something that you kind of keep with you today and you carry on? Yeah. So like in my village as well, when my grandparents want to do anything, there's music, a lot of music in my culture. And sometimes with the music, they tell stories. And and I think most time when they are doing, like for me, when I used to go to the village, the best time is spending time with my grandparents. And because while they're doing something, they'll be singing, they'll be telling you a story, and then it will end up by some kind of music. So, like, for me, that's why I said, I ran me like it was, like, a magical. Maybe they were trying to make the thing more stronger or or, or, or more sweeter. But, like, uh, so I have a lot of that in my culture as well. So 
sometimes if I want to think very deep, maybe there's like almost it's like songs that will come to my head first, then before I can even talk about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So um, when you're starting the business from your kitchen table, you're singing those songs. <laughs> How long did it take you to kind of get your recipe right, perfect the perfect that recipe for auntie's ginger tonic? It's actually interesting because while I was back home, nobody ever taught me how to make the drink here. And so uh, nobody taught me how to make the drink then. And so, like, it's almost like following that, like, you know, the memories, like the, the vision that I had is almost like following that. And then I would, of course, like, because when I'm seeing that, I could even taste the thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I was like, I would go to the shop, buy ginger, buy the ingredients and start making stuff there on the spot. And then I would take it to my parents because I know like they've tasted it and they know how to like make it. And they would tell me, ah, no, 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 it's not like this, but keep going. And then I would go again and I would try and I would try <laughs> until uh-huh. like... approve it i I can just i just have this visual here of your parents sitting there like this judging panel and (laughs) they've got this table there and you have 10 different versions of the drink in front of them with all different (laughs) levels of ginger and a little bit a little bit sweeter a little bit you know not as sweet and all different levels and them just sitting there like tasting you know in like little like shot glasses you know like wheat glass shots and things like that like just imagine it was it like that Yes, so they drank so much ginger, <laughs> but yeah, they were so like uh, really gave me hard comments, you know, and said like, okay, you have to do this one. And so sometimes I have to tell them, no, I don't want to make it too strong so that it's it <laughs> because otherwise people that will be making it for, they can't take it in. They tell them, okay, then let's, we go halfway. Me and them, we just, we sit down <laughs> and we talk about <laughs> it and then we agree on halfway. <laughs> Well, they're the great judges because it's a great drink. Um, how yeah. did you road test the product uh, to make sure it would appeal to you know, the, the Australian palate? I think for me, after I got the approval from my parents about the taste, <laughs> then I was I started going to offices and I would run focus groups and get other people's opinion too on the business, uh, on the flavors as well. So it was just like, after I did that for a while, then I started saying to myself, well, people said they've given me their feedback and I've worked on it. And it's now a place that everybody's happy with it, with people happy paying money for it. At that time, uh, there was a night market and I would go there and then I would sold out. But yeah, I was sold out everything in one night, like in less than two hours. Oh, that's a good problem to have. (laughs) (laughs) That's when I realized that, wow, like it's really like it's something I was on. Yeah. And of course you are Australian. This flavor is now something that you've brought with you and it's, it's part of our nation, which we're so lucky to have. Yeah. I like for me, it's it's a dream come true because from the very first time I, I was told I was coming to a country of like Australia and I had the urge to give back, even though I didn't know what it was. So, yeah, I worked and I pay my tax, but then I, I didn't feel fulfilled. But after 
I started creating Auntie's Ginger Tonic and seeing what people would tell me, the reaction and the, just the smile on people's face. That alone was like a win to me. And and so I love seeing that. It's <laughs> mm, fantastic success story. I really congratulations, Yari, because... Thank you. To go from any business going from your kitchen table to being manufactured and sold in major stores is a, a pretty amazing achievement. So, like, hats off to you. And uh, touching on that, you know, like it started as something that was handmade. You laboured over it, labour of love in, in your kitchen. You're selling it at market stalls. It's selling out. When did you kind of realise that, hey, this can go a lot bigger and... Um, you got a manufacturer involved and and started to scale the brand and what kind of challenges came with that? Mm. I think like uh, going to the market and meeting customers because every day they have great ideas for me and some people were saying to me, this really helped me with my pain because the ginger is very good and I use a lot of ginger and tamarind. So I used to have like people who would give me testimony about how it happened them and then people would come and say, oh, do you know my family and I used to make, we used to make beverages and put it under our house and it will explode. So like uh, people have stories of their uh, childhood and how they used to like make so I felt I was bringing people were telling me this and so uh, and also one day I met a lady uh, she's a food nutritionist and she saw the the way the drink was selling a lot and she asked me if I have thought about manufacturing then I said to her um, n- n- yes but no <laughs> because <laughs> I don't have the money <laughs> yeah and then she said to me, why? And I said, well, it's going to cost me a lot of money and I don't have it. So that's why I'm doing this way. And she said to me, no, I will help you. And she said she will help me find a manufacturer who would do a small skill for me. Mm. And she did. And that's how I was introduced to this side of the world. It was not easy because I was I had a lot of stock and my main sale then was through festival and market and I had so many stocks that I need to sell. So that's when I started really looking at other cafes and supermarkets. Like I and luckily for me after a long like hard work I was able to get into Harris Farm. And so today they are still my major like uh, retail seller. Wow. Uh, you, you're at Harris Farm, you're at Dan Murphy's. There are lots of places people can get Auntie's Ginger Tonic and yes. also um, also through your website too. Now, yes. g- getting into these major retailers is, is very impressive. Can you talk us through how hard, how easy was that for you? All those conversations on the train, they helped with her confidence. I'm sure <laughs> they did. <laughs> no, not, not that confidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, it was hard. Like it was really hard because um, people, the buyers have their own way of how they assess a product. And also, and I was new. (laughs) So I was new to the market. So like it was just like proving to them that 
give like just give me a go, give me a try and see. <laughs> so I think when I finally got into onto the buyer at Harris Farm, it was just like that was another level. Like I had to work finding people who knows someone who knows someone that could connect me. And and once I was connected to the buyer, I <laughs> it was also hard because he just take the product and then leave it in the warehouse and then. And I kept calling because he's a busy person. I kept calling every day and I would email until one day he said to me, well, <laughs> I think I was annoying him so much that he said, I'll go take it right now and I'll test it. <laughs> and, <I'll let> you. <laughs> and he did. And that was it. So um, like all the, with Dan Murphy as well, like I'm only there on online, not on the physical website, but those people, it's just a who who knows who. And then I, through connection, people that I've spoken to were able to help me. I think once people get an idea of what you want to do and they can, you know, they, re, they relate to it, people are very generous here. They will go out of their way to help. Mm-hmm. And that's how I also get into Dan Murphy online. So most of the people that I work with are generous people who just help me out like now i have advisory board members of people from different professions who came together and believe in my vision to help me i think at the beginning first i didn't have that like i've that's when from the beginning when you asked me if i had any feeling about discrimination but because my mother told me that you know i'm a colored woman and there's no place here for me to start a business I think for once I believed that because I I looked around myself and I couldn't find a lot of people that was doing this. And so I that was in my back of my mind that you know what I'm going to try because this is what I want to do now and even if I fail I know that I have tried. So like I I'm so grateful I didn't give up and people just out of nowhere started helping me to get to my dream and my dream is to get into every household and to make anti-ginger tonic a household name Mm. you you raised a really kind of important point there about you know like you can't be what you can't see and so you had no kind of role models in Australia that that um could help you see that it was possible but now other young girls can see you and go, I can do this. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. You can become a mentor for these these people yeah. as well. It's like you've had mentors along your journey, your business journey that have helped guide you and now possibly you can be sharing that knowledge with the next generation of, of young women entrepreneurs. So that's fantastic. Um, yeah. Uh, I'd like to ask though then as well, you were talking about your advisory board and and now you've got, you do have this great circle of people around you that can help you with business advice. What did you look for when you were trying to set that up? Like were there specific, um, you know, holes in your own knowledge that you wanted to fill when you were looking for these business mentors? Yeah, so I knew, I think creating the, Drinks is another one, but also if I want to extend, I have to get someone who knows how to get there. And so I, I magically, they all formed. It was one person that I've met who then connect me to a, her friend. And then like all of the sudden I have like four people, 
come together that I meet regularly to talk about the business. And so I, for me, it was a saver because most time, like when I started, I there was one lady I actually followed. Her name is Jenny Alice. And I followed mm-hmm. her story very closely, like uh, especially how she started. And that gave me motivation because I know she didn't start with a golden spoon in her mouth. Like she started hard. Mm-hmm. And so... It gives me comfort. So, like, uh, having my... Now, today, she's actually a friend of mine, and I talk to her. She's, like, a, a business mentor to me, too. So, like, um, yeah, like, having people together like that are board members to me helped me because at times I want to get somewhere. I want to get into the major retail stores, but I have this dream, but I don't know how to like do it. So I will talk that ideas with them, and then they will give me idea feedback, and it, like I work on those whatever feedback they give to me, I work on those, and yeah, it makes it look possible because if I follow what they tells me, and I ask questions, I will get there. Yeah, it's such a state of constant learning when you're running a business because you you can't know everything and you can't. Yeah. I guess those, like you, you alluded to, you know, there are people out there who do have like a silver spoon or golden spoon in their mouth, who are yeah. who kind of have they do have a leg up, um, and mm-hmm. they do have things kind of done for them. They've got to found they start from a different level. Um, yeah. There's so much to there's so much to learn, and it's it's wonderful to have people like Janine Alice out there who has she's inspired a lot of business owners, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with her story of Boost Juice. So that's mm-hmm. that's amazing to hear that she's someone in your in your in your circle. Yeah. Now, just to just to wrap up, we, I mean, I would love to keep chatting all day with you, um, but I do have to have some of that auntie's ginger tonic. That's why um, I've got to go race to get some now. Uh, what is next? What are your immediate plans, or your or any kind of longer term plans for auntie's ginger tonic? Um, and any any plan to expand your range? Yeah. So right now, I am working. I've actually developed three new flavors. That's going to be additional to the flavor that I currently have, ginger with tamarind. So I have developed ginger with lemon and ginger with pineapple and ginger with cloves. So those are like, (laughs) it's going to be four flavors. So I'm hoping to produce this in um, June and... Hopefully, like, uh, I'm, I'm in a conversation with, uh, like, Metro Woolies. And, yeah, hopefully, like, they, they will also come on board and take it on. I would love that. Do you need any taste testers? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, you know, like, yes, I, I, I will love that. But uh, we, we uh, last year in June, June, sorry, October, we had a a launch, five years anniversary celebration, and that was an opportunity to taste it as well. But you're more than welcome, and I can drop it off to you, and you can taste it and give me your feedback. <laughs> I don't know if we'll be, uh, I don't know, we might not be as brutal with you as your parents. Uh, we'll, we'll be, we'll probably be quite a receptive audience. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Yari. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. So thank you again for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure learning about your business journey. Now, you can find out more about Auntie's Ginger Tonic at 
auntiesgingertonic.com.au and that's auntie with an A-U-N-T-Y-S, aunties. <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining yeah. us, Yari. Thank you. And um, I just wanted to say about, you know, with the June, the new flavors will be ready. And so I, it's with the Metro Woolies, it's looking promising. And yes, yeah, so people should keep an eye out for the four flavors there. Oh, oh. We'll, we'll definitely be oh, keeping will. an eye out. Don't you worry. And we'll spread the word. <laughs> keeping our, keeping yes. our eyes and mouths peeled <laughs> for this. Ready. We'll spread the word. Spread yeah. the word. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Yari. And thank you for listening to another episode of First Act. Uh, join us again in two weeks for another fantastic First Act conversation. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.